Thank you. All right, so you can um, turn in your Bibles to, well, we're going to be a while getting there. But um, what is the first verse I'm going to have you turn to this morning? First place you're going to go is John chapter 6. So you can go park there if you want. You'll be there a while. Today we're starting our series on the Apostles' Creed. That's been dropped into Voxer for you, so that uh, if, you're, if you follow along with us on Voxer, that app that we use as a church, then you'll see it there. If not, it's okay. You don't have to have it memorized today, but if you want to read along here in a little while, you'll be able to do so. So the Apostles' Creed is a, a doctrinal statement. It's not Scripture. It's not the Bible. And we're not going to treat it like Scripture. We won't treat it like the Bible. But it's one of the earliest summaries of the Christian faith. The Apostles' Creed was written around 200 years after Jesus ascended and went to heaven. The Apostles' Creed is not written by the Apostles, obviously, because it was written about 200 years after Christ ascended. So why is it even called the Apostles' Creed? It's called the Apostles' Creed because it's a great summary of what the Apostles taught, of what the New Testament teaches us through the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. So that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. You know why. You know when it was written. You know uh, what it is a little bit now. Uh, the why behind it, it was probably a statement that was used to unite believers, to, to bring everybody around the core things, the things that matter most, where the body of Christ go, hey, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of um, secondary or tertiary issues. That means second and third. There's a lot of other things we could talk about and some things that, sh- that should matter, but there's some things that are central. There's some things that are primary. So let's unite around those and let's use this to train new converts. This is a way that you could bring somebody into the kingdom and not just say, hey, believe in Jesus. He's the Messiah. And they say, okay, I'm, I'm born again. God has done a miracle in my life. Is that it? Well, that's, that's important, but that, no, that's not it. That's not it. There's a lot more to it. So this was used to train new converts. There were multiple heresies. That means false doctrine, lies about God, heresies taught by heretics all over the place. So the Apostles' Creed is something that, we could, that, that the church fathers said, hey, let's bring something cohesive. Let's bring something that we can send out, that we can say, hey, this is primary. This is Christian doctrine. If you don't believe this, you can't, you're not Christian. It's not to say that you might not be ignorant, you might be immature, you not yet know all of these things, but these are primary Christian doctrines that all Christians would and should believe. So this is an organized understanding of good doctrine. Some people get weirded out by creeds, like, just the Bible, no creed but scripture. And, and that's true, like, we don't, we don't value anything the way we value scripture. But the, the way I explain it is this, if somebody was to ask you what the Bible teaches... Would you just be quoting them verses explicitly and just say, this verse, this verse, this verse? Or would you actually put it into words, put it into your own words and communicate the idea? That's all creeds attempt to do. That's all a good creed attempts to do. Like, uh, we're not, we're not creed stuff. And some churches, there's, there's different backgrounds. Many of us have Pentecostal backgrounds, charismatic backgrounds. Generally, most of the time, do not have a lot of, uh, uh, strict adherence, strict adherence to creeds. 
Most of the times they're very, very loose when it comes to creeds. Then brothers and sisters in other denominations are very, very strict with the creeds. The creeds show up. Uh, there's all kinds of creeds that have been written. But the creeds will be used regularly for their teaching, regularly for their instruction, for their new members, all kinds of scenarios where creeds are. So you've kind of got different camps when it comes to the creeds, but now you've heard my approach. Like, we know about the creeds, we don't reject the creeds, where, where they can be embraced, where they can serve us well, we embrace them. But they all, everybody would agree, all Christians would agree, creeds are not the word of God. Creeds are just ways that we can make practical, where we can uh, and bring summary and bring something else to, bring more clarity to something that the word has taught. So, when it comes to the Apostles' Creed, all Christian denominations agree on the doctrines in the Apostles' Creed. If there is a Christian denomination, then they would agree with the Apostles' Creed. So that's why it's like, hey, what do you believe? What do you believe? Um, this is where cults would, would differ from us. This is what separates us from um, those who would still claim that well, we're Christian too, something that Mormons frequently say, except that they're not. Well, why not? Well, the Apostles' Creed was, would show multiple areas uh, where they would differ with us. And they go, well, we're Christians, but no to this and no to this and no to this, to which we would say, uh, right, so not Christian. Uh, or Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, things that are like, well, there's, they use the name of Jesus a lot. Indeed, they do. And yet, there is more to it. There is a significance when it comes to these doctrines, which is why we're going to go through them week by week, and we're going to say, what is this about? What is this about? What is this about? Why does this matter so much? Why does it matter so much that he had to be born of a virgin? Why does the deity of Jesus Christ matter so much? Why does his eternal, why is the eternal sonship of Christ matter? Why does it matter so much that he was begotten, but he was not born, that he has no beginning, and that he has no end. Why is this so significant? All these things are going to be answered. We're going to see how all of this ties in beautifully. So the Apostles' Creed does a great and concise job of teaching these things for all Christians. The body of Christ has been using the Apostles' Creed as a way to express truth and establish unity in the body of Christ for almost 2,000 years. Many churches recite it regularly, every single week as a part of their liturgy, or what we would call our church service. So being in God's family, we're a part of something significant. I want you to see that. I want you to see we're a part of something global, something ancient, something eternal, and something awesome. And the Apostles' Creed is one of those things that we can unite with the body on and go, there are, there are, there are churches every single Sunday who recite the Apostles' Creed, just like the Lord's Prayer or other things that the body of Christ would say, hey, we want to continually pray this or continually say this, remind ourselves of what's central and what's true. The creed helps us to focus on the things that are primary, not secondary. As Christianity is falling out of popularity in our society, it will become more important and more helpful for us to unite with others in the body of Christ around what is foundational in our faith, as opposed to what is particular to our specific churches. So as a church, we have particular values, and yet we want to embrace those while also unifying with the rest of the body of Christ, saying we all agree that we should be focused on these things. So these are what we would call the big rocks. The Apostles' Creed answers, who is God, what has he done, and why does it matter? A lot of times we are tempted to only be practical. Like our marriage series that we just finished. Like, I just want, like, man, it's just super, super practical. Like, I want to know how to better do this. I want to know how to better do that. It's not a wrong desire, but sometimes it can reveal an immaturity in us. 
And I'll explain what I mean by that. We've been trained to only value sermons and teaching that we feel like will help us today. But I've got two responses to that. Number one, foundations matter more than finishing touches. And what I mean by that is the foundations are the core doctrines and the finishing touches are the other doctrines or even the individual church values. Like, a, like I said, Salt Church, we've got our seven different Salt Church particular values. They're very Christian. They come from Scripture. And yet they're not, uh, they take for granted. They make the assumption that we would believe the basics of the faith first. And then they move on past that. So that's my first point to that. Like I just want more practical. Like I don't necessarily just need theology or doctrine. But my second point is doctrine is practical. It is. So I want more practical. Well, good. We're about to have a really practical series because doctrine is practical. Because what you believe about God is the starting point for all of your practical behaviors. It is. So my belief, my deep belief or my deep unbelief, it is why I do the things that I do. You look at John Michael's life, it is totally and completely directed by what he believes. And so is yours. I don't like what that represents. Well... It, it, it represents what you believe, always. You can't escape it. You're not like, I, how do I sidestep this phenomenon? You can't. You're living in it at all times. Your life is always a representation of what you believe. For better or worse, it, it's, just, it's, the pl- it's a plain and simple thing. So if you believe, for example, that you have an almighty Father who loves and provides for you, like we were talking about with the, the offering a minute ago as we prayed, then that would change the way you go through your work week, wouldn't it? For for instance, you don't have to work for seven days grinding yourself into dust anymore because you know you have a Heavenly Father who, who tells you to rest and who gives you peace. You can actually give tithes and offerings in worship and in gratitude and in freedom. Why? Because you're not the ultimate provider. That belief, do you have a Heavenly Father? Yeah, I know that I do. I didn't ask if you know it. I ask if you believe it, because when you believe something, it changes the way that you live. And this has, so every doctrine has a million, uh, 10 million times 10 million possibilities of how that's going to show up in daily life. If I believe that there is a God who forgives, that will change the way that I handle people when they sin against me. So what we're going to do now is I'm, we're going to read the creed. For those of you who have it in front of you, if you want to Google it, you can do that. But we'll read it together. It's in Voxer where we dropped it for you. The Apostles' Creed. Let's read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. This is what we believe. This is Christian doctrine.
So let's get into it now. We're, we're not going to go into uh, anything beyond today is I believe. That's where we're starting. So part one of this sermon series is I believe. What do we see in the creed when it comes to I believe? Well, the phrase I believe is in the creed three different times. And this is how the creed starts. This is meaningful. This is not coincidental. Why? Because we are described in the Bible, in the Word of God, as believers. That word is commonly used in the New Testament to describe what we call a Christian. The word Christian actually came as an insult from the world. They were mocking um, believers, people who called themselves believers. Another thing that Christians were calling themselves was uh, followers of the way. But throughout the New Testament, you see the, ter- the term saints used. Most of the time they're called saints. After that, they're called believers. Hey, to the believers here, to the believers there, so-and-so was an unbeliever. Oh, but so-and-so became a believer. The, this idea of being a believer, it's almost lost on us. We almost miss it. and We, we don't recognize the significance of that's, that's an identity marker. That's who we are. So that is commonly used to describe who we are. We are the children of Abraham, the Bible says. The true children of Abraham because we believe like he did. The word says that Abraham believed God. And that believing is what was counted to him as righteousness. It was the believing that was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So the true God has always put a priority on his people believing him. And this makes God's people different. This makes Christianity unique from every other religion in the world. Every religion in the world is different. All the kids, all the children, look at me. How can you know that Christianity is better? How do we know which world religion is right? They believe this. They believe that. Because there's only one religion that's different from all the others in multiple ways. Every other world religion requires you to be the hero. This religion says, you're not the hero. You can't be. You never were. Christ is king. Christ is Lord. In addition to that, every other world religion tells us what we must accomplish. Christianity says what Christ has accomplished. What must I do? Believe. That's it? Yeah. It crushes the human ego. It's not a religion that man would have built because man gets no glory from it. God gets the glory from it. So God has always put a priority on his people believing him. Every other religion tells you what you must know and what you must accomplish. But we believe God's word. And by believing, we are saved. By believing, we are transformed. And by believing, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I told you go to John. I was wrong. Go to Hebrews. I was looking through. I was like, I thought we started at Hebrews. but <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. We're looking at the priority of believing. Hebrews 11. Yes, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, he's saying by faith, by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice, a more acceptable acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. 
By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he, did, he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So, in Hebrews 11, we see another reminder that God has built people and built his kingdom in such a way that belief is required for participation. There is no participation in the kingdom of God apart from belief. There is no physical external thing that we can do apart from the internal thing that then will lead to the physical and external things. This is, again, different from every other world religion. Every other world religion will say, hey, there are some things you can do to guarantee your eternity. For example, if you, if you keep the five pillars of Islam, if you make a trip to Mecca, if you pray five times a day, if you accomplish X, Y, and Z, or if you want to shortcut this whole thing, if you will die for Allah in, in holy war and you will kill yourself, you instantly guarantee Look at all the physical things that I can do to ensure my salvation in these false religions and these doctrines of demons. But when it comes to Christianity, what can I do to be sure? You can believe on the Son of God. Amen. Believe on the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to be sure, though. You can be sure, and you will be assured by the Holy Spirit because He will fill you with His presence and with assurance of your salvation. No, but I want to... You want to be sure, then believe. Because... Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So what else do we see here? We see that believing is what we do because believers are who we are. In verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So let's separate knowing from believing here for a second. I'm defining knowing as we could call it mere head knowledge, just a mental acknowledgement of this is a fact. Because it is a fact. God's resurrection is a fact. His ascension is a fact. His return, all these things are facts. But that doesn't necessarily mean that a person is living in a heartfelt belief. So uh, a mere head knowledge looks like I know that there is a God. But does that knowing actually change a person's life? Does that knowing transform your identity? I know that I'm on my phone too much. Okay, that's a fact. Has that become transformative in my life, though? 
Or is it just a fact with no power? Facts with no power are just that. They haven't done anything. They haven't transformed anybody. You and I both know people. Maybe you and I have been people. Maybe right now you are people who would say, I know that's true. I know that. I know that. I know people who say, I know the whole Bible's true. I know it. And they also say, but I know I'm not a Christian. And I'm not following and I'm not walking with the Lord. He knows the facts. He knows, he knows it all. But unfortunately, it hasn't transformed him. Why? Because he won't believe. He can believe. He can. He has the ability to, but he won't. It's an issue of the will. I won't believe that to the degree where I'm transformed, to the degree where I'm submitted, to the degree where I'm changed. Yeah, I know God is good. I know God is good, but do you really? Do you really? Because if you knew God was good and believed that God was good, there would be nothing stopping you from pursuing him and loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If there's unbelief at the root of every sin, there's unbelief. So we're separating knowing from believing. That's how, that's how we think about knowing. Yeah, I know it. It's a fact without power. Go to Romans, also not John chapter 6 yet. <laughs> Romans chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I'll read it again from verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's what we saw about Abraham, right? He believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. But when you believe God, there will be outward action. Confession with the mouth, for example, will be one response. You won't just go, here I am believing. Mm. When you believe something, you'll talk about it. When you believe something, you will make confession. You will make profession with joy, with joy, with excitement, with zeal, with hope, with expectation. Believe. This word believe here is defined as to trust in. So this is how it's separate from just the head knowledge. To believe in the New Testament idea of belief. It's not just, I know that that is a fact, but it is, I, I actually trust in. So to believe means to trust in, to put one's faith in with an implication that actions based on that trust may follow. So that's what New Testament belief is. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Not so fast. Has that impacted the way you live? Yes, it has. Oh, then you absolutely believe it. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, what is the thing that we always have to struggle and fight against? It's unbelief. And we see that all the time in Scripture. Jesus getting frustrated with people because of unbelief. Jesus being blown away by people because of faith. Wow, I'm impressed. You believe God. I hardly ever find anybody who believes like that. But yeah, it'll be done as according to your belief. What? He's just like throwing out miracles. Willy-nilly, it seems like. Just because somebody believed. People are like writing their own terms here. Um... If I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Says who? 
What scripture are you standing on, sister? Where'd you get that promise from? Well, I just, well, she believed in the nature and the character of God. She believed in Jesus's goodness. And that led to something. He goes, well, yeah, it's done. Actually, he didn't even permit it in the sense that he said, who touched me? Who touched me? She's like, oh, I had this thing that I determined. Could we go too far with this, what I'm teaching right now? We absolutely could. You could go into some weird places, so we won't go too far. And yet, it happened, didn't it? And it's in the word of God, isn't it? I didn't just shoehorn it in there. So God values belief. God values people who say, I trust him. I know his character. And now, is is that a bit presumptuous? I don't know. Did Jesus rebuke her for it? Jesus is perfect theology, church. Did Jesus go, what do you think you're doing just making up your own terms and promises? Give me that miracle back. Go keep bleeding. No. According to your faith. It's done for you. He said the same thing to, to many people who believed. But they didn't just believe that God had the ability to. They believed he had the will to. They believed in. They trusted in. They put their faith in. Belief is the implication and that actions based on that trust are going to follow. What you believe will change the way you live. Believing is done from the heart, not the head. That's the difference. Am I really believing God for this? Brother, sister, you can check. You can know. Is it, is it, is it in the heart? Or is it up here? Man, it's just up here. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, we don't want to stay there. But acknowledge the truth of where you're at. Acknowledge the fact that I'm in my head right now. I know the facts. I would get this right on a paper test. Does, does God want to do this? Has God said that? Is Jesus coming? To, uh, to, is Jesus returning? Have I been saved by grace through faith? Uh, I can get all that right on a paper test. But it's, it's with the heart that I believe, and it's with the mouth that confession is made. So where, well, where do I get this belief from? I'm so glad you asked. You always ask great questions. You get it straight from God's word. That's where faith comes from. I can't just faith myself into something. But... The Word of God can faith me into anything and everything that I need to be faithed into. That's where belief comes from. The ability to believe the gospel travels with the gospel. They come together in the same truck. So if the gospel's driving, you've got a whole truckload of faith that's saying, hey, this is for you. It's it's at your disposal now. And that's the moment where we go from, I will believe or I won't believe. But it's a, at that point, it becomes an act of the will, which is why the Lord rebukes people for lack of belief. Because if my belief was determined by God and preset my ability to believe or my ability not to believe, if it was just preset, he would have no place and he would be unjust in rebuking me, rebuking us for our unbelief. You set the standards. You set my cap. I'm only allowed to believe this much. You've set me. It's been preset. So... I'm a computer program. You can't get mad at the computer program for doing exactly what its limitations have been set at. But the Lord says, believe. This is the expectation. And this is what is, this is the natural state for the believer. Why? Because they're a believer. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. This is a good confession for, for us, church. I'm a believer. When we're struggling, when we're stuck, to be like that father who said to the Lord, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. We know that we've got flesh. We know we've got the temptation to be pulled down, to be pulled into the realm of exclusively head knowledge. But we believe. This is why the Apostles' Creed is powerful for us, because we're saying, I believe these things with the heart. And even if I wasn't, maybe I wasn't mindful of these things, but I need to bring myself back into remembrance. Just like when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're going, ooh, 
Like this morning, as we were praying the Lord's Prayer, I went, oof, been holding on to that. Been holding on to that. I needed to forgive somebody. I said, I, I release them. I forgive them. Because I hadn't been. I, would, I, had been, I, had been uh, I had been defeating them in the argument. I know none of y'all have ever done this stuff because y'all are holy. <laughs> none of y'all are ever driving down the road just like, ooh, I should have said this. Ooh, I'm going to, you wait till I get back on Facebook. I'm going to say it like this and I can weave them right into a trap, <clears throat> expose them in front of everyone, you know, with the right heart and all. <laughs> I say that because some of these things, you know, uh, arguing is not always wrong, but again, I knew my heart was offended. So that's why this morning I needed to release this person. I can still go back and interact with that person. My, in my case, it was a, a, uh, someone accusing and lying and online it, for me. But, uh, but now I've released them of the offense. And now I, if I choose to go back and interact with this person, I can truly do it with a pure heart. Yeah. That was the whole segue here. Oh, that was for free. We'll keep, we'll keep going back where we were. Believing is done from the heart, not from the head. Believing brings power. Believing brings conviction. Believing brings breakthrough. Believing actually moves something. Believing actually accomplishes something. That's how you know. Believing, there's power present with believing. Am I in my head or am I in my heart? Is there any power? Or does it feel like a dry riverbed? Cracked. Okay, well then, then you have head knowledge for whatever the thing may be. Oh, what do I do? That's a good question. That reveals humility. Go to the Father and take it to him and say, Lord, refresh me. Lord, bring me, bring me fresh manna from your word so that I can walk it out. Because believing brings conviction. Do you feel conviction about the thing? Or do you just know the facts about the thing? I know, I know that Jesus is returning. I do too. Do you have conviction about it? Because if you have conviction that Christ is returning, that will change the way that you live your entire life. Versus if you just know that that's a fact. Yep, it's, it's a fact. Right. But is there any conviction for you? Yes. Okay, then that's belief. That, that, it leads to something. It changes something about you. Believing brings breakthrough. Is there anything changing? Is there anything moving? Are you seeing the power of God? Are you seeing prayers answered? This is what belief actually does. The Lord does, obviously. His grace is the power through our faith, through our belief. Believing will actually change the way you live. Because you don't believe something unless it has changed the way that you live. I know God forgives sins. I know He is merciful. But if you don't believe with your heart that God forgives your sins, if you don't believe with your heart that God is merciful, then your unbelief will still keep you from His presence when you sin. When you sin, do you find yourself pulling away and hiding from the Lord? That's unbelief. What is it? I, I don't believe that God is good. I don't believe my father loves me. I don't believe Jesus paid the full price. I do believe that. Okay, act like it. Run into the presence of the father. Confess your sin, knowing that you'll receive grace, knowing that you'll receive mercy. That's what a believer would do. Well, but I feel ashamed. Do you believe that Jesus uh, took your shame on the cross? I do. Then that belief would lead to action that takes you right back into the presence of the Lord. That's what belief does. That's the difference between knowing and believing. And we've all been there, right? In my sin, I'm going, Ugh, I'm, a, I'm rejected. I'm the prodigal son who's rehearsing his speech. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll, be a, I'll just be a slave in your house. He didn't believe in the goodness of his father. He was, he, a, a degree, he'll let me be a slave, but not the fullness of who his father really was. But when we believe the whole truth of God, this is why the creed matters. I believe in God, the father almighty. 
I believe in God. We could park there. But I believe in God the Father. Father. He chose this language. He is the first father, by the way. It's not like earthly fathers were invented. And then he's like, hey, that's a good metaphor. Hey, guys, I'm like a father too. That's not what happened. God is father. Human beings were made in that image then. Men were then had the, the gift and the ability to become fathers like the primary and the first father. Just like marriage. Christ in the church is the primary thing. Marriage is the secondary thing. So if you don't believe with your heart, then your unbelief will keep you from God's presence. And unbelief is the root of all other sins. Whatever it may be. Whatever it may be. If it's, you name it. You name a sin, whatever something that you think, oh, that's, no, my real issue is pride. Yeah, but that pride comes from an unbelief. Why am I prideful? Why am I so showy? Why do I need everybody to look at me? Why do I have to be the center of attention? Why do I always have to one-up somebody when they say something? Why am I like that? Well, I'm just prideful. Well, yes, you're prideful, but what is it, what is it the unbelief that's going on here? There's something you don't believe. You don't believe you're loved. You don't believe that you're a new creation. You don't believe that you're valuable to God, and you need value, and, and you're seeking value from others. You're looking for others to go, you're valuable, and you go, okay, whew, I needed puffing up. Why? Because you weren't full to begin with. Unfortunately, the puffing up that humans do, this is me using a pump, the puffing up that humans do, it just fills us with air. It's just hot air, or we fill ourselves. Why? It's, a, it's an unbelief in the goodness of God. It's an unbelief in the love of God. All of our sin can always be traced back to some, some sort of unbelief. What is the thing that I'm pursuing? I'm materialistic. I want the stuff. Well, I want stuff because you know, I want you know, status, or I want this. Like, there, but you can always trace it back to there's some unbelief. This is what we see in the garden. This is the lie that the snake brought to Eve. Hey, hey, God's holding out something good. And Eve had unbelief. It wasn't that she was just confused. Oh, wait a second. God said this, but maybe he meant that. It was, huh, maybe we're missing out on something. I thought he was good, but now I'm questioning. It was doubt. It was doubt on the goodness of God. He's given us everything richly to enjoy, but maybe he is keeping us out on something. Satan says, no, no, no. He knows that if you eat this, you'll be like him. Well, that's pride. It is pride, but it's also unbelief. The root is, I don't believe God's word. I don't believe he loves me most. I don't believe he knows what's best. And he's holding out on me. This would have been Lucifer's issue as well. I'm going to make my throne like that of the Most High. Well, you don't, you don't understand. You don't believe that you're as high as you could possibly get anyway. You're already in a position of serving the Lord. You're doubting his goodness. You're doubting his power. You're doubting his righteousness. There's an unbelief here. And that allowed, that made room. That created a soil where pride could then grow. And then, of course, not, you were already one of the highest beings ever created, Lucifer. But now you are crushed under the feet of Jesus and you will suffer forever for it. You will be made the lowest. Because of unbelief. Believers, this is what we do. We believe. And we want to root out unbelief. Because it is so dangerous. Turn in your Bibles, guess where? John chapter 6. And we're closing here. John chapter 6. Verse 28 and 29. 
Jesus talking to the multitude here. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Come on, give me something. No, dude, no, 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 no. We meant like, what can we do, though? What can we do? Jesus knows what they're after. What can we accomplish? Come on, man. Like, I want to I guarantee this thing. Tell me what to do. They asked him, what's the most important commandment? Come on, what, what thing can I do? He said, love the Lord your God. Oh, it's another heart thing. You're always doing that, Jesus. Yeah, almost like a changed heart is the first thing that leads to all the appropriate actions later. The belief will come first. Loving God is the primary thing. Yeah, but like, what am I supposed to do? There's plenty that can be done and plenty that should be done. But nothing that you can earn, nothing that can make you deserve anything. What are the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Everybody leaned in when they said it. He's about to tell us this is the work of God. Finally, he's about to tell us, believe in him who he has sent. Believe. What's he doing? He's pointing to himself. Believe on him who he has sent. Let's just keep reading because Jesus is so awesome. Then they answered him. Or then he answered them, this is the true work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Who's he talking about? The true bread, him. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They're still thinking about this manna that comes from heaven, this physical thing that they can eat. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. How do I come to Jesus? I believe in Jesus. What does believe mean? To believe is to trust in, to put one's faith in, to trust with an implication that actions based on that trust may follow. This is not a I know about these things. This is I believe in Jesus. Christianity requires that you believe because to believe in God is to love God and to fear God. To believe in an almighty father will reshape your identity and your life. If you believe you're loved and you're protected, how would you live? To believe your father is the creator of heaven and earth, that will draw you to worship. That will draw you to stewardship and to exercising his dominion and his kingdom over every square inch of this creation. Because you believe it's all his. So you won't be passive when it comes to the, the kingdoms that are at war with one another. You won't go, uh, let's just put Christianity in this neutral box and we'll let America do its like neutral thing. You'll recognize there is no such thing as neutrality. There it will always be a kingdom reigning. There is no neutral thing and Christians can live here and devil worshipers live over there, but like America could have like this, this, this can be this big nothing box. That's nonsense. It's not reality. As Christianity is pushed out of prominence, there's, there's, it's not a vacuum. It's not an empty place where it's like, oh, now nothing exists there. 
Is that what you see happening? No, you see wickedness rising up. Those are the options. To believe in God will lead to wanting to see his kingdom come in every place, in every way. It will not lead you to a... So this is, this is why my point here is doctrine is, is very practical. What you believe becomes very practical. It changes everything. It impacts every area of your life. It impacts the way you raise your children. It impacts the way you vote. It impacts everything. All of it comes from doctrine. And by the way, everybody has doctrine. Whether or not they follow Christ or not, everybody has the doctrines that they believe. So to believe your father is the creator will lead you to exercise his dominion and kingdom over every square inch of creation because you believe it's all his. And to believe in Jesus Christ will make you a new creation. To believe in the Holy Spirit will fill you with God himself. And this is what Jesus invites us to do. He says, I am the bread of heaven. Eat of me. And they go, whoa, 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 we're not interested in all that stuff. They still, they were listening, but they still weren't hearing. Believe. Do the works of God. I want to do the works of God. Believe. He says, and whoever believes in me will do the works that I've done, and even greater works will they do. How? Because they believe. Believing matters to God. Believing matters to us. So this is why the creed starts with, I believe. And this is why we're going to say it a couple more times in the creed. We'll come back to it. I believe. I believe. I believe. Heavenly Father, we believe your word. We love you and we thank you for, for your perfect kingdom it, that crushes the human ego but raises the human spirit to be made new. It pulls us out of death and it brings us into right relationship with you and right standing. You make all things new. Help us to trust fully, not just facts, not just a mere head knowledge, but a trust, a transformation. God, where we've allowed unbelief to take root, help us to drive it out. We confess that sin, the sin of unbelief right now, the root of all of our sins. We reject it. We see it crucified on the cross. We see it as something to be repented of. Not something, not something that, that we can't help, but something that we can. We believe your word. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We believe that you're with us right now and that you'll guide us to believe and to trust you even more. We love you. We honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.